This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome back for a second series of Gosh Pods Goes Green. In this series, we are focusing on the important issue of air pollution. Over the next eight weeks, we will explore the impact of air quality on our health, factors contributing to air pollution, and start to think about what we can do as individuals and as healthcare professionals to improve our air quality and advocate for change. In this episode, we're looking at outdoor air pollution, thinking about where it comes from, what it does to our health, and how we can start to think about reducing the levels of pollution in our environment. We really hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm Charlotte and I'm the Sustainability Project Manager at Great Ormond Street, working in the sustainability team. Today, I'm joined with Tom Parks, Air Quality Leads at Camden Council. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us today. To get started, I guess it would be really interesting to understand more about outdoor air pollution and where it comes from and the different types of pollutants. Sure. So when we talk about outdoor air pollution, we are thinking about anything in the air that can directly affect our health. And more specifically, we're talking about chemicals. So it's not really biological contaminants. So we're not talking about viruses or diseases, that kind of stuff. It's chemicals gases and particles in the air that can directly affect us. And I think another distinction to make is that, you know, when we talk about outdoor air pollution in a local sense, it's different from the types of gases that affect climate. So we're not talking about CO2 or greenhouse gases, which we know affect the environment and contribute to the climate crisis, but they don't necessarily have a direct effect on our health. So in 2023, when we talk about outdoor air pollution in London, but also more generally, we are thinking about a couple of different types of you know, things in the air. So those things are nitrogen oxides, which are produced when we combust fuels like gas and petrol and diesel at high temperatures in engines and boilers and so on. And we're also thinking about particulates, which is a term used to describe everything in the air that is not a gas. So it's a really general term, which means any kind of solid or liquid particle from a range of different sources, which can have an effect on our health. So the main types of sources or origins of these types of pollution that we find in the air in London in 2023 are from, you know, our use of fuels in vehicles, but also how we heat our homes, the offices and commercial buildings and other public buildings, but also from construction and demolition activities from you know, rail transportation from industry and agriculture. So there's a huge range of sources of these different types of pollutants in the air that can affect our health. So I think everybody's aware that transport is a massive pollutant when it comes to air quality, but it'd be really interesting to understand what the other main causes of outdoor air pollution are in London and across the UK. Sure. Yeah. So yes, transport is still a major source of air pollution, but as transportation has cleaned up so much over the past few years because of technological changes and other things, we see that now, at least in London or in Camden more specifically, how we heat our buildings is basically the largest source of nitrogen oxide air pollution. So, you know, the use of gas for boilers, uh, for combined heat and power engines in commercial buildings and public buildings and our homes as well, that's the biggest source of nitrogen oxides. 
And there's other from diesel trains, for example, which are still quite prevalent, particularly for moving freight around. Uh, that's a source of nitrogen oxide air pollution. And then construction machinery, diesel generators, these other types of activities also produce air pollution. So that's some examples of there at a local level, but also in other cities as well, what we would expect to be the main sources of nitrogen oxide air pollution. With particulates, I mentioned earlier on that there are so many different sources of particulates. So when we look at the useful the modeling data that we have for London, which comes from Greater London Authority and Transport to London and Imperial College London, we see that actually in Camden, the largest source of fine particulate matter, so PM2.5, is commercial cooking. So this is something which is quite new to the air quality world. I think it was an under-recognized source of air pollution until quite recently. But we now know that in Camden, at least, commercial cookies are the largest single source of PM2.5 air pollution. So that will come from when we, we use wood pizza ovens, charcoal grills, but also, you know, when we use gas hobs or gas ovens, but also when we deep fry things. Basically, if you're frying fatty foods in lots of oil, you are producing airborne hydrocarbons, which chemically is very similar to what we get from heating petrol or, or diesel as well. So it's not necessarily going to have exactly the same physiological effect if we breathe it. But from the research that has been done, it does look as though the sort of particulate that's produced from commercial cooking has an adverse effect on the body. So it's commercial cooking. There's how, you know, again, the use of wood and coal fuels for heating in homes. And it's a big source of particulate air pollution. And, you know, we're also affected in London by air pollution that comes into the city from outside as well. So I mentioned that agriculture has an effect on air quality. And that's because the use of fertilizers and manure produces uh, a lot of ammonia, which becomes airborne, can be transported a long distance. And then, you know, some element of particulate matter in the air, it's the product of chemical reactions in the air. So ammonia is one of those things that can react and can form different types of chemicals or particles, which can affect our health. So, you know, in London, even though there isn't really any agricultural activity in London, and there isn't a huge amount of industrial activity anymore, we're still affected by agriculture and industry, just because those activities happen elsewhere in the UK and internationally, and the pollution that arises from it can be transported long distances in the air, just because it's so small, so lightweight. So I think an example of that is sometimes we have, you know, really red rain leaving the silt on our cars and our windows, and that's from desert sands, basically a really, you know, particulate from desert sands, which can be transported huge distances. So in a similar way, air quality in London is affected by particulates from agricultural sources, as well as things like forest fires elsewhere in the UK and international as well. And in the same way, air pollution, which arises in the UK can also affect air quality in other countries. So that's generally what we're talking about when we talk about outdoor air pollution in London and the UK. That was really interesting, Tom. Thank you. When we're talking about air pollution, do you mind just giving us a bit of information between the difference of NO2 and particulate matter? Yes, sure. So a bit more detail about that. So NO2 is basically produced when nitrogen, which naturally occurs in the air, reacts with oxygen and, you know, in the fuel mix when we burn petrol and diesel and natural gas fuels. So it's produced from a chemical reaction when we combust fuels at really high temperature. Whereas particulates 
is, you know, there's huge variety of reasons for them coming into existence. So for example, when we burn fuels, that also produces particulates and soot is an example of a particulate. It's an organic compound, you know, a molecule in the air, which is produced from incomplete or dirty combustion fuels. So historically, you know, really old diesel vehicles, for example, or old engines combusting fuel inefficiently would produce a lot of soot and that is a type of particulate. But similarly, when we burn wood fuels in open fireplaces or wood stoves or on bonfires, that produces a lot of under the particles and that also would be considered particulates. And sometimes we see that particulate matter, PM, is given a number, so PM10 or PM2.5, for example, and the number indicates the diameter of the particles in micrometers, so a thousand of a millimeter. So PM10 is basically 10,000 of a millimeter. So it's, you know, really tiny and PM2.5 is obviously even smaller than that. And it's in fact so small that it can be breathed really deep into the lungs and can cross over into the bloodstream. So PM10 is pretty nasty stuff, but PM2.5 is even more dangerous just because it can get so deep into the body. And as I've said, there's loads of different sources of particulate matter, but it's any kind of particle in the air from a liquid or a solid form, basically. That's really interesting to understand the different sizes of pollutants and how they can kind of get into our bodies. With this in mind, how do pollutants affect our health? Yeah, so that's, I suppose that's the crux of the issue. And, and we've learned collectively a lot over the past few decades about how these types of pollution affect us physiologically. I think it's worth noting that people have known for hundreds of years that, you know, air pollution has an effect on humans. It's been documented in historical records in London from the 1600s, where people have noted how the burning of sea coal led to people coughing and, and having illnesses. And, you know, pollution has been captured in, in art and other forms of culture and, and media over the centuries. But it's only, I suppose, slightly more recently that we've understood that these types of air pollutions that we're talking about have quite an inflammatory effect on the body. So nitrogen oxides, when we breathe them in, and uh, it causes respiratory inflammation. So it can aggravate the, the tissues in the lungs and that can trigger symptoms of asthma and other respiratory illnesses that people may already have. And over the long term, breathing in NO2 or, or nitrogen oxides, elevated concentrations for a sustained period can contribute to the formation of asthma and can reduce lung capacity in children just because it is a respiratory irritant. Particulate matter has a similar, well, as far as we understand, it has a similar inflammatory effect on the body, but because it can enter so deep into the bloodstream and other organ systems, it can affect different parts of the body. So it's the leaves that find particulate matter. So PM2.5 is the really small stuff can cause inflammation in the circulatory system and the vasculature. So there was some interesting research that was done during 2020 that looked at the correlations between COVID prevalence and air pollution and looking at whether there were some comorbidities between those two things. And there was some suggestion that PM2.5 exposure and that particular pollutant was having a similar kind of effect of causing inflammation within the circulatory system. It was the time that the COVID may be causing. So effectively, you know, we know that particular air pollution can cause 
and contribute to the development of cardiovascular health conditions as well as respiratory conditions. But there are also now associations between particulate exposure, you know, whether if we're breathing in high levels of particulate pollution and higher rates of other conditions like dementia and various other, you know, neurological, cardiovascular, respiratory health conditions. So we're still learning more and more about how these things affect our health. But it's quite clear, I think now from epidemiological evidence and physiological studies that there's a range of different ways that these types of pollutants affect our health. Thanks, Tom. That's really interesting. With that in mind, I was just wondering whether certain groups were more vulnerable to the health effects of air pollution or not. Yeah, I mean, that's a really important question. I think, yes, certain groups are definitely more vulnerable. So I think when, you know, when we think about how we try to manage the problem of air pollution in Camden as a local authority, we think about both how some people, some groups are more susceptible to the effects of breathing in air pollution but also how some groups are exposed to high levels of air pollution. So I suppose there's two different vectors of, of vulnerability there. But, you know, I mentioned earlier on that we, we know that children are particularly affected by nitrogen oxide air pollution because it reduces lung development. So generally speaking, because children's bodies are still developing, we know that, you know, them breathing in polluted air is likely to have a larger physiological effect on their health. And I suppose if their health is affected at an early stage in life, then they live with that for the rest of their lives. Similarly, we also know that older people are also more likely to be affected by the effects of air pollution just because their bodies may be less able to, to respond to the you know, inflammatory effect of breathing in pollutants. And people with existing health conditions are also going to be more than, so if you already have COPD or emphysema or, you know, another condition that affects your respiratory system, or you already have a cardiovascular health condition, you know, you're going to be more affected if you breathe in polluted air. So whenever we see there being a big spike in air pollution in London, as a result of, you know, weather conditions sort of trapping pollution of bubble city or being really cold, for example, and everyone's got their heating on, everyone's, you know, people are using wood stoves and all that kind of thing. When we see there's a spike in pollution, we know that there, there is very likely to be an increase in the number of people presenting to the hospital in the days that follow with conditions that are associated with long-term exposure to air pollution. And it could be that there's a lot of people who had underlying health conditions that may have been triggered by that increase in air pollution. So there are definitely groups of people who are more susceptible to the effects of air pollution. But we also know statistically that certain groups within the population are more affected overall because they're exposed to high levels of air pollution or because there are higher rates of, or, you know, higher prevalence of these underlying conditions. So, you know, in London, we, we understand that lower income neighborhoods specifically see higher rates of asthma in children and young people. And also we know from Office of National Statistics data that in, in a given area, if you have a higher proportion of people from black, Asian or minority ethnic background, there tends to be higher levels of air pollution and consequently, you know, we see that there may be higher rates of asthma in black or Asian children than there are in white children. So we know that there's, you know, there are definite associations between pollution exposure um, and how it affects different groups. So one thing that we always try to convey in our messaging around air quality Camden is that everyone is affected by air pollution, but some groups are inequitably affected and it's, you know, it's a contributor to health inequalities. 
So he's mentioned that air quality is not just affected by local factors, but it is affected by kind of sandstorms in the Sahara and agriculture coming from farmland outside of cities. Why is it so important to kind of have a local focus on air quality and understand how that's directly affecting us? Yeah, really good question. So I think one thing to bear in mind is that although we are obviously going to be affected by air pollution, which it's transported long distances as well, we are also very much affected by air pollution, which is produced locally to where we live. So, you know, in a particular location, we're breathing in the mixture of pollution, which is produced there as well as stuff that comes in from elsewhere. And if we live in an area which has more activity and more stuff going on that's producing more air pollution, we are fundamentally going to be breathing in more air pollution overall. So, you know, it's still really important to focus on what we can do to try and improve air quality wherever we live. And in the same way that we need to advocate and we need to try and support um, and lead by example so that other places, other authorities also take action in their own areas to try to reduce those sources of air pollution, which we know can affect us and vice versa as well. So, you know, we absolutely need to be focused on tackling local air pollution, particularly in those areas like we see in central London and inner London, where there is a lot of locally produced air pollution, which we know is contributing to this higher level of pollution, which affects and causes this health inequality as a result of the health conditions associated with polluted air. I guess understanding that pollution comes from so many different sources and it can affect our health in so many different ways. Are there many things that we can do to mitigate our exposure? There are, yes, there are things that we can do. And I think it's also worth bearing in mind that although we learn more about how air pollution affects our health over time, Air quality has improved a lot in London and other cities over the past couple of decades because of the introduction of better technologies and new policies to try and instigate a change away from various different ways of transportation or heating buildings and so on. So there is an improvement and there is a lot more which needs to be done to be able to meet legal limits or World Health Organization air quality guidelines. So it takes a lot of effort, both on the part of, you know, regulatory authorities and, and policymakers. But there are things we can do as individuals as well, which can help reduce air pollution outdoors, but also to protect ourselves from that pollution. So we still see in 2023 that a large portion of nitrogen oxide and about a quarter of particulate pollution in Camden seems to come from road transportation. So an easy way to help with that situation is simply to not drive. So we try to encourage anybody who has the choice, if they're able to to avoid driving and to take public transport or to walk or cycle to do that. Because firstly, you're going to be helping to reduce the amount of air pollution that's produced from commuting or through recreation travel. But also if you're particularly for walking or cycling, that physical activity is going to have a health benefit to you as well. And it's believed that, you know, the pollution exposure for different modes of transport, you know, if you're walking or cycling, even though you may feel like you're breathing in more pollution, there's actually a net benefits to the bodies of doing that compared to being stuck, sat in a car, breathing in fumes from the traffic that surrounds you. So, you know, we try to encourage people where possible to walk, cycle, take public transport, to use other modes of active travel. But similarly, you know, the way we choose to heat our homes has a big impact upon outdoor air quality and, and how it can affect our own health, but also the health of our communities. So for anybody who has a choice. We try to encourage them not to burn wood or coal or any types of solid fuels for heating in their homes, just because those heating fuels produce so much air pollution, 
they are a disproportionate contributor to outdoor air pollution in kind of sense air quality across a wide area. So for anybody who has an alternative source of heating, we strongly encourage people to use that rather than using, you know, any kind of solid heating. And similarly, it's about being really conscious about, if you had, you know, lucky enough to have a garden, try to avoid burning garden waste and look at composting or, or getting a garden waste collection, just because burning organic matter produces a huge amount of chemicals. So Besides the particular air pollution, there's sort of a subcategory within that called polyaromatic cyclic hydrocarbons. So I may put that in the wrong way around, but it's basically nasty stuff in the air and there are some carcinogenic compounds within. So yeah, try to avoid burning stuff basically. But you know, even if you don't drive, you don't burn stuff at home, you can still protect your health by avoiding really polluted environments. So thinking about how you walk or cycle or take public transport. If there is an alternative route to get from home to work or home to take your children to school, and it's a quieter route with less traffic, it's going to be better for you to take that route because you're breathing in less pollution. And if you're doing that commute twice a day, five days a week, or even, you know, in a couple of days a week, over the long term, breathing in that amount less pollution is going to be better for your health and for your children's health if you're taking your children to school. So it's about sort of having an awareness of where we are likely to be exposed to high levels of pollution. And I guess that starts with understanding what pollution is and where it comes from. So yeah, there are things that we can all do, I think, to try to mitigate our exposure to pollution and how it can affect our health, as well as helping to try to clean the air that we all breathe. Great to understand how we can empower ourselves to have less exposure to the pollution around us, especially in London. I'm just wondering if we wanted to kind of lobby for a greater change and look at the legislation to protect our health when it comes to air pollution, how do we go about that? And if you were the right people to talk to about that. So, yeah, I think one thing that we always try to advocate is that, you know, whatever your beliefs on this, this kind of stuff, personally, as a council officer, I don't think pollution should be a politicized issue anyway, because it affects everyone. It is just science that air pollution affects people should be doing what we can to reduce the effect on, on our health. But, you know, whatever sort of the way you come from in this sort of environmental discussion, it's always worth having your say on any kinds of policy decisions, which can affect how air pollution is regulated and, and managed. And the current regulatory framework for air quality is, is sort of split between local governments and councils and also the national government. With various other sort of public agencies and bodies also expected to play an important role in trying to clean the air and to protect people's health. And periodically, that regulatory framework and the policies that surround it and the legislation are updated to reflect the latest science and the latest political landscape. And whenever that happens, there will be a public consultation and everyone has an opportunity to have a say about what we all, you know, individually or collectively, what we think should come into law, you know, what we think the approach should be for trying to improve air quality. So at a local level, you know, as a council, when we produce an air quality action plan, setting out what Camden Council plans to do to help improve air quality, we do a public consultation. So for our current clean air action plan, we ran a consultation last year, and that is an opportunity for people to say, you know, I think in my area, what you need to be focusing on is this, or here's the key issue that I think should be addressed where I work. And the same kind of thing happens to an extent in national policymaking and legislation. 
So past couple of years, we've seen the introduction of a new environment act to the UK. So that makes provision for new air quality and water and biodiversity targets. And then following that, you know, there's been an environmental improvement plan. And most recently, a consultation on a new air quality strategy for the UK, which sets out what local authorities and other public bodies need to do to try and improve air quality and reduce pollution from a range of different sources, including you know, domestic heating and from agriculture, from industry. And I think probably a lot of people think that they're not experts in this kind of stuff, saying how can they really contribute to the discourse or you know have some sort of meaningful say in the issue. But I would encourage anyone with any interest to get involved. You don't need to know everything about the different types of pollution. I think it's worth, if you feel that pollution is important, if as a healthcare or a medical professional, you see that people are presenting to hospital with the kinds of health conditions which are associated with air pollution, it's worth saying in any kind of a consultation or any opportunity to have a discussion about this, that this stuff matters, that you can see it placing a pressure on how you deliver a, you know, a health service or in, you know, the public sector, like a council, we, we know that we're going to be more reliant upon adult social care and children's services in areas of high pollution just because, you know, people need more care and more help as a result of that. So I think it's just from the beginning, worse people thinking that this stuff is important to them and they, you know, their voices are really important within the UK, DEFRA. So that's the Department for Environment, so the rural affairs. Is the, the civil service department, you know, the government department, which has responsibility for air quality. And they are quite engaged with local authorities and with public. There's an opportunity for conversation and for sharing information and thoughts about what needs to be done or what should be done to try and improve air quality, particularly in these areas where we know there are more health vulnerabilities as well. So yeah, I think there's a lot that we can, can do to use our voices to call for more action on this stuff. And I think just, you know, a point, I suppose, for the audience specific to, to Gosh is that I think healthcare professionals are really trusted when it comes to the discussion around air quality. I think either an individual or collective voice from medical or health or social care professionals talking about why this stuff is important would carry quite a lot of weight. So I don't think anyone should underestimate the extent to which their views can contribute to something really positive for helping to clean the air. I think it's really interesting to understand kind of the different avenues in local government and central government that people can read issues with and really important to understand that there is opportunity to put your point across on the matter of air pollution. Just for people listening, are there any platforms or ways that people can understand better air pollution in their area? That's a really good question. I mean, there probably are, and it varies a lot by area. I think one thing to quickly reflect on is that uh, I'm sure many people listening will be aware, but a couple of years ago, there was a landmark inquest into the death of Ella Adukisi Debra in 2013 in, in Lucian. So a young girl who died as a result of hypersecretory asp, which was attributed by the coroner to, you know, long-term exposure to levels of air pollution above the World Health Organization standard. So, you know, it's the first time that air pollution has ever been listed as a contributory cause of death on a death certificate. So this is a really pivotal case, which has had a lot of influence in how collectively, you know, local authorities, national government, all kinds of organizations, as well as the healthcare sector and, the, you know, sort of medical training colleges are expected to share information about air quality. 
And it's the result of Ella's mother, Rosamond Kisses Deborah, you know, campaigning tirelessly for, for years for this to be properly recognized. One of the key things to come out of that case was that there needs to be much better information for the public to try to convey that air pollution is a really important thing. And that was one of the things that had clearly been missing. I think generally public understanding and awareness about air pollution is still really limited. We can do a lot to protect people's health and improve air quality just by raising that fundamental awareness of what air pollution is, how individually we have an effect on it and are affected by it. So lots of local authorities as a result of that and the government as well have been looking at how we can provide clearer, more concise, more understandable information about air quality within the local area, but also nationally. There's work going on across the UK as a whole to update the UK air website, which is one of the, the main national resources of information about air quality. And that itself is still currently, a, you know, a good place to find information about how air pollution can affect our health. But for people who are more interested in looking at the data from, you know, the, the range of different monitoring sites across the country, you can find historic data there. You can find more information about some of the, you know, the air quality targets that we have in the UK. There's the daily air quality index, which is a type of pollution forecasting system. So that's the good source for anyone sort of anywhere within the UK to look at a bit of information about air quality. But each individual local authority is also going to have its own web page and may also have its own interactive data platform providing air quality data as well. So in Camden, our website, you know, we have air quality web pages which try to share information about what Camden Council is committed to to improve air quality, you know, why we think it's important for the community and what our current clean air action plan is setting out to do to improve air quality for Camden, as well as posting the air quality data that we collect from the hundreds of monitoring sites that we have around the borough. So we're increasingly trying to make our information as accessible as possible. Most local authorities, I think, will say the same thing, but open to feedback. It's helpful to understand from the public how people want to receive information. If there is a question about air quality that they feel can't be answered from looking at a council's webpage, it's really helpful to know because we can look at how we can improve, how we provide information so that everybody seeking it can find what they're looking for. For anybody listening who'd like to find out more about what we've discussed or get involved with campaigns for change, what resources would you recommend for them? Well, I mean, in Camden, so again, speaking at a really local level, at any one time, we may be running various different projects to try and engage people and to empower communities to take action on air quality. So you could always reach out to us in Camden Council. So the air quality team is simply airquality at camden.gov.uk. And we're always quite happy to talk to anyone about, about air quality. But there's lots of other campaigns going on nationally as well. So, you know, if you're more interested in going down the sort of policy campaigning route or using your voice to advocate for change, you could look into the work that's been done by organizations such as the Ella Roberta Foundation, Client Earth. There's lots of different organizations which are really trying to lead the way in advocating for, you know, more action on air quality. Thanks, Tom. That's all been super informative. I think we've all learned a lot about air pollution today. Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods Goes Green. We hope you can join us again next week where this time we're going to be focusing on indoor air quality and speaking to Dr Ben Barrett from Imperial College London. The team at the Gosh Learning Academy would love to get your feedback on the episode. 
as well as hear your suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on GoshPods. You can find a link to the feedback survey in the description for the episode. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Or you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. Thanks for listening to Gosh Pods and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.